Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto. I'm senior executive producer here at ABC News. And we have a big exclusive here at ABC News. It is the first Hunter Biden interview with Amy Robach. For the first time, he speaks out about not only what he did in the Ukraine, what he did in China, and also what he has said to his father. Now, to get a big exclusive like that, Amy Robach is the correspondent, but the two producers that actually got the interview, as we say in the business, is Victoria Thompson and Nadine Shubalat, and they are here with me today. So before we get into the contents of the interview, tell me, Nadine, how did this all come about? Months ago, um, The New Yorker came out, and it caused a buzz, and uh, I wrote him a letter that day. The New Yorker came out, (laughs) and the next day... I was at the doctor's office, and I got a text on my phone, and it said, Hi, this is Hunt. Nadine, could you give me a call? And I did. Did he want to talk? I mean, over the past few months that you've been working on it, is he? No. Because I mean, back it wasn't, then there wasn't an impeachment inquiry Yeah, going on. Yeah, and even then, it was, it was sort of like he's, he gave an interview to The New Yorker. I don't think he felt compelled to sit down and talk to us, but he knew we wanted to interview him way before this happened. You were going to do a documentary about Hunter Biden. Correct. And and now, all of a sudden, an impeachment inquiry happens about a month ago or five weeks ago. I don't. And all of a sudden, the news value of this interview uh, becomes far more It skyrockets. He is red hot. Hunter Correct. Biden yes. is the get and red hot. So you go out there, actually, this weekend, Victoria. Yes, we, were, we went back out there this weekend. It's mm-hmm. true. Um, once the sort of he became the center of the greatest like political firestorm of the moment, um, you know, there's so much pressure on him. The world is looking at him. You cannot turn the radio on, the TV on without hearing this 24-7, at which, by the way, the rallies he hears. Yeah. So, I mean, one little detail. Uh, mm-hmm. We went out there. We were there this weekend. They're starting on, on Wednesday. But Thursday night um, was President we- Trump's rally in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, um, you know, where he sort of goes into a where's Hunter monologue. Where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? By the way, whatever happened to Hunter? Where the hell is he? The irony was he wasn't in hiding for us. He was, he was with us. Actually with us, yeah. meeting with us, talking about this mm-hmm. um, pending interview uh, with his, his wife, Melissa. Well, let's listen to a little bit from this interview right now. And we're going to play some clips uh, from Amy's interview with Hunter Biden of where he talks about Ukraine and China for the very first time. Did I do anything improper? No, in, not in any way, not in any way whatsoever. I joined a board. I served honorably. And you know what? Like you said, I'm a human. And you know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. It, but did I make a mistake based upon some un, uh, ethical lapse? Absolutely not. The mistake is in the fact that by perception, I gave a hook to some very unethical people to act in illegal ways to try to do some harm to my father. That's where I made the mistake. The mistake is, is in not having had the foresight to understand that, that there are people that are and, and that exist in the the the, the Trumpist sphere um, that are um, that that mimic the, the president. So in, the mistake in illegal was and in, unethical behavior. So the mistake was giving your father's political foes ammunition. Yeah. How did you react to learning that President Trump called the Ukrainian president, 
in a phone call asking him to investigate you and your father. Where were you? Do you remember when you first heard the news and what was your reaction? I was like every other American. I was shocked. Yeah. I mean, did you call your dad and say, no. oh my gosh, can you believe this? Uh, no, yeah, but look, my dad and I talk all the time. I picked up the phone and the first thing he said to me is, you know, Maisie's loving her classes. At, you know, uh, I, I said, yeah, dad, I know. She's at Penn now. And, and, uh, and I said, and like, we had that discussion before. First, before yeah, you talked about yeah, potential For real, and, and that's not a joke. I mean, it, it, and, but then it was, and, and then the discussion was literally like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And then, it, you know, but other than that, really, I want to make it clear. It's not like anybody um, um, has to have any discussion beyond that. And I'll let Congress handle that. And I'll let you guys in the, in the media handle that. And I'll let my dad's, my campaign handle that. And the only thing that I'm looking to handle is to make certain that I get up every day and do the next right thing. And that really is the way that I've been um, trying to live my life. Mm -hmm. So now, Victoria, it took a while in this interview, I think, to get Hunter Biden to admit that he made a mistake uh, in Ukraine. It, 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 he doesn't, I think he realizes it, it's a mistake now, but he didn't think what he was doing was a mistake at the time. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that at the time he didn't. He felt that he had qualifications to be on this board, serving on, you know, sort of nearly 10 other boards uh, in the past. Um, he was of counsel at Boy Schiller at the time, right. um, said that they'd, you know, reached out to him for, you know, consultation work. Um, so he defends his qualifications for being on that board. But, you know, Amy presses him a lot, um, you know, gets a little bit tense in there. And he never demurred or tried yes. to not answer anything. He's extremely, extremely open with us. Um, but, yeah, he he's a, he does feel that he had qualifications for being on that board. But in retrospect, he realizes even if there was the appearance of, you know, something unethical, it's it was not worth it. He regrets Especially because of his it. father. Yeah, and yeah. He, and and he of course made the pledge, which we all heard yesterday, not to serve on foreign boards in the future or you know work for any foreign companies where he would get paid. So he's he's made that pledge for the future. Obviously, doesn't want to cause any pain or as he says, chink in the armor for his father, right. who he, he adores like, and yeah. who adores him. Doesn't well, want I got, to be a distraction, right? But I got the impression though that his kind of argument is that. I'm Hunter Biden. So everybody's always going to treat me differently. His father's been in politics his entire mm -hmm. life. Senator, 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 then Vice President of the United States of America. He, he, Hunter Biden knows, doesn't know he was a, a life. Yeah. His father was he doesn't know a life where his father was just and a that's, civilian. But that comes through, though, why he doesn't think in some ways he did anything wrong. Correct. Because everything he did is exactly. i'm joe biden's son correct he so even though it took a while for him right. to admit it he says there is not one subject that you know his father presumably couldn't, couldn't have, have influence. influence over given his you know position right as a senator then vice president now presidential candidate so it's it's very difficult for him to find you know find something that that wouldn't be touched by his father's influence or have the perception of being right but he will tell you he did nothing Illegal or unethical. That is his. Oh, and, 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 and I agree. But it, even for that, he even what he says now is I'm I, in retrospect is a mistake. At the time, he knew exactly what he was doing, I think. Well, his position is that he didn't do anything wrong. So he doesn't waver on that. He's actually, you know, he sticks to his guns on that. He stuck to his guns before this Correct. rigmarole 
and he sticks to it now. So his his story hasn't changed. He never once for us, right? You know, sort of I do think, his words on that, right? And, I, and sorry, oh. just one other thing. He does not say, um, you know, he very much acknowledges that he is aware that the fact that his last name is Biden mm-hmm. affects everything he does. He's not naive to that fact at all. Well, listen, all the eyes of the world are going to be on this uh, interview that's going to be broadcast today, <laughs> all day on every ABC channel. And then I think there's a documentary forthcoming. Yes, thank, you. thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for having us on. When we come back, we're going to talk to former Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, who investigated Bill Clinton 20 years ago and get her insights on this impeachment inquiry, and Kate Shaw, our legal analyst, to talk about Rudy Giuliani and the entanglements he's in. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, senior executive producer here at ABC News, and I'm joined by my colleague in Washington, John Santucci, who's the lead reporter of the Trump investigation. I also am bringing in two of our experts here at ABC News. One is Barbara Comstock, former congresswoman from Virginia, but I met her almost 20 years ago when she was investigating a president, Bill Clinton. So she knows a lot about what goes on down in Washington. We are also joined by Kate Shaw, our ABC News legal analyst, who can tell us the legal implications for this new impeachment inquiry. But Barbara, I'm going to start with you first. You know, you and I have spoken in the past and you actually have looked at this call and you do see that there are serious questions here that should be investigated. However, I think you are also pointed to the way that Congress and Adam Schiff has started out to do this investigation. You raise some questions that he may be doing it wrong. What do you think? Well, yes, I, I do think they have a case to investigate and, I, and, and that the call was wrong. You know, you even have people like Fox News' Tucker Carlson, who is one of the, you know, most slavish supporters of the president, saying that the call was inappropriate. Other senators, Republican senators have come forward and said, and said that also. But I think Adam Schiff missed an opportunity to kind of bring the public along and in the information gathering. And now... Overall, the refusal of both Schiff and Pelosi and I guess Democrats in general to have a vote on impeachment, which I think they could easily get and might even get some Republicans, they're beginning to look unfair that they won't have an open process. They could use the same um, impeachment resolution that we used in the Clinton impeachment that was word for word, pretty much a mock-up of the Nixon impeachment. And so if they did that, it would say, this is what we did when Democrats were investigating Republican president. This was what happened with the Clinton impeachment. And now we're using the same process, which would give rights to the minority and rights to the president. And then I would open it up more because I think all of these closed hearings, people just come out and give their preconceived spin and the public doesn't get to be involved and watch it and judge it for themselves. They have the facts, right? They even, as you say, Tucker Carlson says it was a bad call. Why not just let it go? They have the case. Well, and I think it's, you know, now the question is, do you just, you know, it, it, does Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff just want to put the stain of impeachment from the House on this president, knowing that they won't get anything done in the Senate? Or do they want to actually open this up and look at this and take it very seriously? And I think the more they play partisanly and try and keep it closed and not have the public involved, I think it ensures more on the Senate side that they can do the same thing. They can short circuit it and not have to do it. And if that's their intention, then that's probably you know what will happen. But 
if you're taking it seriously as an impeachment and you're looking at this saying, well, is this an impeachable offense? You know, people are saying it's wrong, but is it impeachable? And if so, you have to get, you know, if you have to get two thirds of the Senate, you need to broadly tell that story to the American people and not just bring the witnesses forward, but they should be subpoenaing documents like bank records and phone records of of people and characters who are involved that I imagine we'll get into some of those because I think there are some key people that they really have been late to the ball and and focusing on. But don't you think, you know, just trying to uh, take a step back here, the biggest difference from what we saw with the Clinton impeachment and what we're seeing here is that there was an independent counsel leading up to the Clinton impeachment that sort of did the fact finding and the digging uh, that was necessary to actually carry out an impeachment proceedings. So don't we sort of think that the reason that maybe this is behind closed doors, uh, they haven't had this vote yet, is that they haven't actually had the opportunity to go and dig a little bit? Well, but they made the decision that they were going to go through an impeachment procedure, which I think in part is Nancy Pelosi had to play to her base that wants this impeachment kind of been demanding it. So I think she just kind of put a label on this. And instead of what they could have done is said, well, we're going to investigate these things and where I'm going to primarily have Adam Schiff investigate it, but other committees can. And then we'll decide down the road whether we think this should be an impeachment proceeding, because what they could have done is just continue to investigate as they had been doing. And then once they decided there was something, then just put the resolution through the Judiciary Committee and go to the floor. So it's a branding screw up more yeah, than anything. Yeah, and, and well, and I, I think they wanted that brand on it. I think they wanted to put that label on it, but they aren't willing to do the legitimate process things that should be done. And they, they hadn't done some of the sort of basic investigation that they should have gotten done first that would make it look more fair to the public. Because an impeachment, you know, as I think Nadler and others have said, is undoing a presidential election, basically. And that's why you, you know, the founders said we want to have two thirds there. So if you're going to do that, a lot of people look at it and say, okay, this isn't good, but is it impeachable? Or can't we just vote them out next November? You know, by the time you get this done, is it really going to make that much of a difference? So what is the purpose here? And if you're not going to be fair, I think in a way, by doing it in a way that doesn't look fair, they may actually help the president. And I I think the president has, has often been very lucky in his enemies and his opponents doing things that actually allow him to not just play to a base, but play to people who look and say, hey, this isn't fair, and I'd like you to be focusing on my health care and on um, jobs and uh, these other important issues that I care about. You know, are, are people in the swing states, because this is a political mm-hmm. season and a political process at the end of the day, I don't think Nancy Pelosi would be doing it if she didn't think it was politically um, going to help her. But I think sometimes they don't understand how they politically help the president. So now I don't think it'll help House Republicans. Kate Shaw, I have a question, though, for you, because isn't the other aspect that's going on in this investigation, we just found out last week that the Southern District of New York is looking into these associates, uh, these two Ukrainian businessmen for campaign violation. And obviously, Rudy Giuliani is at the center of this. Isn't that dangerous? How does this affect the impeachment inquiry? Does it delay it? Does it does it throw it in a wrench into it? What, what does this mean? 
You know, I think we don't yet know exactly how the conduct that was alleged in the indictments that were returned last week against these two associates of Rudy Giuliani kind of intersects with the allegations that we've seen so far. Allegations with, you know, real evidence to support them. Um, a memo of a phone call, a whistleblower complaint. You know, so so I think that kind of how whatever external kind of campaign interference, um, Rudy Giuliani's associates and potentially Rudy Giuliani himself were engaged in, in assisting the president through the kind of apparatus of the campaign finance system, albeit, you know, illegal use of that apparatus, how that might intersect with these suggestions that the president was simultaneously attempting to induce the president of Ukraine to assist him in his re-election efforts right here in the guise of tarring a political rival. I don't think we yet know how those intersect. I am sure that the House investigators and the chairs of the relevant committees would very much like to be able to pull all of that together into a coherent narrative of unfairness and cheating by the president and his team, right, inside and outside uh, government, in pursuit of re-election, right? And in some ways, that's, I think, the Democrats' strongest response um, to the argument that why bother impeaching when there's a re-election looming and that's the opportunity to remove this president, um, you know, in the ordinary course. I think a strong counter-argument to that that the Democrats need to be making is the entire allegation here is that there was an effort to skew the results of the election. So we can't very well just let the election run its course if there are people working in who knows how many different fronts to actually, you know, interfere with and rig the results of that election. And so, but to your question, I don't think we yet know how related all of that is because the SDN, the Southern District of New York allegations are so new. um, And it seems like there's probably more shoes to drop there. When the president of the United States uh, met with him over the weekend and then put out a tweet and said, basically, Rudy Giuliani is still my lawyer. Is he trying to set up an attorney-client privilege argument there, or is he trying to protect Rudy in some way? I mean, I think I read it as trying to sort of shore Rudy up in the event that he himself, so it sounds like he hasn't been interviewed yet. Presumably that's something that the SDNY prosecutors would like to do. So I think that sometimes the president uses the kind of the bully pulpit to communicate indirectly with his associates, particularly ones that might be facing some kind of legal peril, to shore up their resolve to you know, protect the president. So that's sort of how I read that. I am sure that there will be attempts to invoke attorney-client privilege, you know, and I think that the existence of this crime-fraud exception, right, the attorney-client privilege is not meant to act as a shield against criminal or fraudulent conduct. And so there will be a very strong argument that that exception, you know, removes the ability of the president's lawyer and the president to assert that privilege to protect communications they may have engaged in. But I think that so far, and, you know, it's, of course, also complicated by the fact that notwithstanding the president's recent statement, um, you know, it's it's just not clear that Giuliani has made very conflicting representations about whether he's acting as a business associate or as an attorney. And insofar as he was not acting as an attorney, you can't, of course, invoke attorney-client privilege. But I am sure these privilege questions will arise. Well, and Rudy has also said that he was acting on behalf of the State Department. So if he was doing this on behalf of the State Department, then he doesn't have a lawyer-client privilege. Now, the president may want to have executive privilege, but again, that's why it would be helpful for the Democrats to have an impeachment resolution so they'd be stronger maybe in court, although I do acknowledge they don't need to do that. But I think 
there's a reason why all Republicans and a lot of friends of the president are very uh, concerned about the Rudy problem. Um, Rudy is has been involved um, with these two characters who were indicted on a business level. So we don't know what kind of money has changed hands, but they, they've already said publicly before they were indicted that they had hired him. And he's had a lot of foreign clients while he's been representing this president, as well as for the past decade or so. But is he trading on his previous reputation as America's mayor in mm-hmm. 9-11 or his current reputation as the president's lawyer where he's not getting paid? Um, and it appears really his job as a lawyer has mostly been to go on TV. Right. And I find most of his uh, discussions on TV kind of incomprehensible. I've been trying to fi- understand or follow what is the theory of his case. You know, I mean, I, we've all heard the Hunter Biden things, and I certainly think the whole Hunter Biden thing is sleazy and the kind of money he got and all of that is, you know, so not uh, at all acceptable. But it may very well be that Rudy is the president's Hunter Biden and that he also has been making money while. You know, what agenda has he been promoting? And so here's where I think some of the investigation that they haven't done, the Democrats haven't done, is, listen, these two guys aren't going to cooperate now, yet they've sent subpoenas to their lawyers to say, hey, give us everything. Well, their lawyer is smartly going to say, no, we're dealing with the criminal charges. We're not sending you anything. Kate, one of the things that we're seeing this week is that there are right now so many deadlines for subpoenas coming through, uh, both to uh, different employees within uh, the Trump administration, the State Department, uh, the Energy Department. It doesn't seem like, Kate, they're actually going to comply with any of those subpoenas. So what do we think now happens to Congress? Are they able to just, you know, one blanket uh, sue and try to get everything, or these are going to be taken on a case-by-case basis to court. Yeah, I think that the House investigators are going to be in a really difficult position because I don't think they could do any kind of blanket suit. I think they would have to to suit it to enforce each individual subpoena that is not being complied with. And I am not sure if they're going to want to spend the time pursuing all of this information in court. Um, You know, I think at the end of the day, the House investigators would probably win any legal dispute because an impeachment inquiry is such a serious legislative undertaking and the arguments against disclosure that whatever you know executive branch agency is involved might be making, I don't think are powerful enough to overcome those subpoenas. But the question is how quickly that would all happen. And I think at the very fastest, it, this all would run its course in you know, the six to nine month sort of time frame. And that's you know a very optimistic assessment. It could take a year or two. And so I think that the House may decide to cut its losses, or to focus on one or two of these really high value, either witnesses or sets of documents, pursue those and but not hold up the rest of the impeachment inquiry while this all plays out in court. Um, because it's a kind of a, a, a waiting game at this point. And if the White House can just, you know, stonewall and then slow walk, they may be able to win a short term victory just to get them through the election. Um, the one other thing I will say, though, is that even though the White House has largely stonewalled, we have already had, especially from the State Department, a reasonable amount um, of testimony and some documents. And I think a lot of that is attributable to two things. Public pressure. The public, I think, may be turning against this kind of total stonewall. And you know, kind of interest inside the executive branch. Some of these career officials that Barbara referred to earlier seem to want to cooperate with investigators. And if they continue to do that, they may be able to give answers, even if the White House would prefer that they not do that. So I think it's going to be complex in terms of how it all plays out. And there may be a few different fronts, some of which will be in court and some of which will just be inside the executive branch. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive Producer. I want to thank my producers, Trevor Hastings and Caitlin Fulmer. Make sure you subscribe and give us a rating and review, and we'll see you back next week for another edition of The Investigation. 